0: You are listening to the Phenom World Football Show on the Phenom Media Podcast Network, powered by the most passionate young sports analysts in the game. If you're looking for creative, informative, and high-quality sports content, you've come to the right place. Phenom Media boasts a team of over 100 youth contributors from around the world, covering every sport on every media platform. Make sure to follow Phenom on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as all of the Phenom podcast channels for daily content. The link tree in the episode description includes a direct link to all of the aforementioned platforms, so click on that to access everything. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe and leave a positive review so more people can discover the podcast. Now, let's get to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Phenom World Football Show. My name is Samarth, and I'm joined here with Sid. Today, we're going to start off by talking about a very crucial penalty, which was awarded to Manchester United yesterday, and once again, another VAR controversy. Pogba was pulled down. It seemed a very soft call. Um... I feel like Pablo might have probably tripped himself up, got tangled. What are your takes on it, Zarr?
2: I think, uh, once again, it's going to show the issues with VAR. You know, um, when you're talking about something like like VAR, the idea is that it's supposed to be a more objective measure that you're adding in to to help make it easier for referees who are obviously unable to see everything. Um, But, you know, in this case, it shows, once again, that VAR is going to be subjective it's it's uh, you know decided by people in a booth upstairs they're not you know the they're not um, you know objective measures of what is going on on the field and once again we see another one that could have gone either way that you know we don't really see a a true objective measure of the play and I think that that's always going to be an issue with VAR or you know video assistant in any sport for you know as long as they use them
1: I feel like the incorporation of technology, like that's what we are supposed to be. But in the end, it's not the technology that's really deciding, it's still a the human. They're just thinking that, oh, using advanced technology will actually help make better decisions. But it's really gone both ways. We have seen very bad calls, not just from Yashay. Yashay was still like 50-50. We could have said, oh, it was really soft. But even the ref immediately pointed to the penalty spot, and he saw it like firsthand clearly. But VR is supposed to be there to have like a second look. And I feel like it's doing much more than that, but also much less. Instead of taking that second look, it's really interfering with like the games, like with the game's legacy and like the game, like how it was previously. So I feel like something has to be done about this, not just, um, and not too quickly before things get out of hand. And once again, we have like, oh, VR out, chance starting up at stadiums before fans come in. So what do you think? Should VAR be dismissed? Should it be abandoned at this point?
2: I think that there's a lot of cases where VAR should be left out of the question. In some cases where, you know, VAR should be left in. I think that in the cases of, you know, penalty calls, um, I think that it is a um, a good measure because, you know, in the end, there's two angles that the ref gets. That's his AR, if he can see anything, and then the ref himself. He doesn't get any other kind of measure of what's going on. Um, So, you know, calls like the Pogba call probably should have gone to a video review to make sure that it was, you know, checked out. But when you just have a bunch of humans upstairs deciding it, it doesn't really change that much. Um, I think that, you know, for those calls, you know, if you could have a review with more angles, that's great. But if you're going to be talking about, uh, you know, like small offsides calls, you know, when, you know, you have a hand over the line, I think that those kind of calls, if the ref calls it on the field, you call it. And if they don't call it, you know, they don't call it. It's, you know, it's it's like passing events and football, how it used to be. You know, you couldn't challenge that stuff because it was right. a call on the field. I think that that's something that, you know, you shouldn't be able to challenge in the end.
1: Yeah, like these very minimal, these very close calls you should just go with the call on the field. I feel like that's the best way to avoid such VR controversy. And I feel like this is besides like using technology. Also, like the rules that the um, VR has implemented are like very strict, very literal, especially with the handball rule. Um, especially like trying to figure out like, oh, was the hand near to the body? Was it away from the body? Not just in like many cases we have seen this. And I feel like VAR is really taking the rules very literally that, oh, it's, if it touches the hand, we're going to give it a handball. We're going to give it the penalty. I feel like in those situations, um, the rule book itself, you had to clear it up It had the rules, it has itself has become more clear or VAR has to stop being so literal.
2: I think that, you know, with, with handballs, it's, it's a very, uh, controversial topic. It always will be, whether it's just, you know, being called on the field or not, just because it's such a hard call to make because there's so many parts that have to come together. You know, you have to talk about whether the the hand was in a natural position or not, whether it helped the defender or not. And there's all these things that have to come together for, you, you know, you to call a handball or for you to overturn a handball decision. So I think that those are always going to be controversial. And I think that with a VAR, with a video assistant, uh, you know, it makes it a lot harder because, you know, now you have all these angles and you're, you're able to see you know I think that you know in a zoomed out view if you can if if the ball doesn't appear to be hitting the arm that's kind of the end of the story you know the, the hand is in a natural position and, and that's it you don't need to you know do the the funny zoom in shit that they always do all the time you know you don't need to do that stuff it's just that's the end of the story it, it's in a natural position and th- that's it
1: Yeah, pretty much sums it up perfectly. Uh, I feel like it's VAR. It's been some time now. I mean, we have been using the UCL for several years, but uh, Prem is the second season. And I feel there's a chaos that has caused. I feel like it would be better if it goes. Just um, returning back to normal. instead of VAR interfering, I should, it, it just has to be directly what the ref says. I don't think there's like a gray space in between like, oh, if it's yes, but like, um, use VAR in um, some less scenarios. I just feel like to call which scenarios use it in and which you don't would just be even more of a mess. I think VAR has to go at this point.
2: I agree. I think that um, I, I don't think that I doubt that in the future they're not going to be able to come up with a better way. There's definitely going to be a better solution, a better video assistant that they're going to be able to come up with. I think it's just a question of when, but I think until then we should hold off on the VAR in these, in these, uh, you know, in these leagues, so in that way, you know, we can stick to the soccer that we're used to, and then when we want to make the change, when we know that the system is going to be objective and it's going to make the game better, uh, that's when we can really switch over.
1: Yeah, definitely. And sticking to yesterday's Man U game, let's have a look at the Premier League standings. United and Liverpool joint top at the table, 33 points both. However, Liverpool do have the advantage with a 17, plus 17 goal difference with United at plus nine. It, it, this um, race is really heating up. Prem, the Premier League is very volatile, and as we have seen um, in 15 to 16 match weeks, uh, where you take some of the standings currently.
2: Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I think that, you know, once, once again, you know, this is the and the it's always going to be a hot race but i think that you know this year we're really in for a treat with, you know we have five teams inside of four points of the leader um and you know the the top 10 all within seven you know three games separating uh the top 10 teams in the prem uh so yeah three games separating the top three, uh, top 10 teams. So I think that this is definitely going to be one that's going to come down to the wire, and it's, it's really going to be a season to look forward to.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, but looking at the, the bottom of the table, Sheffield United have just extremely underperformed. Not a single win yet, two draws, 15 losses. They have played 17 games already. And considering that last year we saw them as possible, even UCL or Europa League um, contenders, and this season, sitting 20th without a single win. Even teams like West Brom, Fulham, and Leeds, which have been recently promoted, have wins. Sheffield are just at the bottom of the table. Why do you think this is?
2: I think that, you know, again, um, well, I mean, first of all, you know, nothing against, you know, the, the competition. Again, it's still a top tier of, of English football, and there's still, you know, solid teams out here, but they've just, I, I think that, there's a lot of parts that you know, um, Wilder and United have to have to work out. Um, you know, Wilder himself saying, uh, you know, it's a harsh league, and he's 100% right. Um, you know, you can't get away with, you know, not, you know, w- without playing your your best soccer, especially if you're uh, a mid-table team. Otherwise, you're going to get punished like this. Um,
1: yeah, and I mean, just looking at some of the scores they have had, they have had 1-0s um, early in the season with Leeds, um, 2-1, losses. Just even against Liverpool, they lost 2-1. So it's not that they have completely been bad. They just can't be finishing the game off. Yeah, sure, they have had some horrible loss like 4-1 in Chelsea and then 3-0 to Southampton, but very, very close games. 1-0, 3-2, 2-1, a single goal separating them. From at least getting that one point, at least earning them more points for the table. And I just feel like they just need to be able to finish off the game. We saw how critical they were last year in the uh, final third, and they just don't seem to have that this year. Only eight goals forced while taking in 29, negative 21 goal difference. It's not been the best. Something just has to start ticking for them, especially now that we're entering the second half of the season. Um, Christmas break is done. So we'll have to see how Sheffield United bounce back.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I mean, they're himself saying that they're not uh, good enough in, in either penalty box. And, you know, like you said, uh, you know, 29 goals allowed, currently, you know, only behind uh, leads for, you know, the worst in the league. And, you know, eight goals scored, which is currently the worst in the league. They really need to step the attack and the defense up if they want any chance to get out of this relegation zone and to keep playing Premier League football into next year.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm as to look at number f- um, fifth place in the Prem, Everton. Uh, earlier, we had them as possible title contenders. They're sitting in fifth, four points off Liverpool and Man United. But I have to say um, how the job Ancelotti has done taking this team, used the um, summer transfer window, brought in players like James, brought in players like Dacouré, Allen, and it's really working out for them. They're above teams like Man City, uh, Southampton, Wolves, Arsenal, and Chelsea. And I just feel like they probably will be getting a top six spot, in my opinion. And this is probably because I just don't see Chelsea making that top six. I can see Man City making the top six, but Chelsea, I just don't see them having that finished product, that end product that's necessary. And I think Everton will get in the top six, whether it be at the fifth place or the sixth place, or even higher up, maybe UCL. But I see them getting to the Europa League next year, either as uh, either qualifying or going into the contention for Europa League.
2: I think, uh, yeah, I I think you're 100% right there. You know, Chelsea obviously not being, you know, the, the team that they were, you know, drawn up to be at the beginning of the season. But, you know, Everton, I think what's what's surprising is that the, the way that they've played when they're underdogs versus compared to when they're, you know, the, the favorites to win. Um, I mean, according to um, Sky Sports, the, the stats that they've picked up two points per game against the, the big six this season, which is, you know... Um, which is pretty good that 's you know averaging somewhere between a win and a draw against the six biggest teams in the prem, which is no small feat, but against the rest of the league, they have only one point seven three which is somewhere between a draw and a loss um, and that 's not good enough you know you have to be winning the games against those lower teams if you want to stick in around in, the, in that top six for you know the rest of the season um, and I think that if they did they would have had a, a good chance at that title race, but they're not, they're not doing that. They have to follow through on that if they want any chance to stick around in that top six.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good point. They're bringing up how many points they have won. Definitely, they have had a win over Tottenham early in the season and a later on a win against other teams, a draw against Liverpool, which was interesting in the Mercy Diet Derby. And, but, then, but then they were drew, um, drawn against Burnley, 1-1. Not the best of results. They lost to Newcastle. they lost to Southampton 2-0 so just finishing out these games they know they should be winning has to be a must for Angelotti returning in the new year especially January and February before things start getting even more hectic with the schedule so I feel like they can take advantage of these two early months and see how if they can do good well I still believe that they can get a top six spot Everton and for me is in my top six this year.
2: What are your thoughts about you know Tottenham uh, right now sitting third uh, in the table, um, but heading into you know Aston Villa next week, um, of course. Then between that we have the EFL Cup semi-final against Brentford, FA Cup against Marine. But you know Aston Villa um, in the Prem. What do you think are their chances going forward? Um, because you know after these next couple of games they have Liverpool and Chelsea and City coming up. So they're going to have a pretty tough stretch going into January. Uh, sorry, into February. What, what are your thoughts about them?
1: Well, I'm coming off a 3-0 victory today. Sure, with the red card against Leeds. Leeds are very uh, difficult to tell if they're going to do good or bad. But as soon as Son and Kane start clicking in any game, it's game over. I see them winning every single game that Son and Kane are just top class. And I mean, that's almost, that's most games I feel that they're doing that and I feel the game against Brentford and Marine, especially against Marine, where they can have some of their rotationals come in. And Mourinho will definitely be wanting to aim for a final in the EFL Cup, beating Brentford. But these two games can be crucial for them to have some of their players rest, get some time in before the Aston Villa game, and then the long stretch, like you mentioned, against Liverpool, Chelsea, City, going into next month. So these two games, I'm really interested to see how they're going to do. And if they perform well in these games, they show that oh we have the class we have the quality i can see them sitting comfortably in a top four spot maybe even challenging the top 2 but it all depends how they play against that liverpool game and then much later on the season against man u cuz if they really want a chance for the title like we had them earlier in the season possible title contenders they have to be able to beat the top 2 teams they have to Common statement but it's uh, rather underlooked and so we'll just have to wait and see how Mourinho plays the next two games. Let's see who he uses. I feel like we're going to see much more of Bale in the next two games. And I feel like I'll be interesting to see. So as far as the uh, Pram situation goes, 29 points, um, equal on games with Manu and Liverpool, four points behind. I think Mourinho can do something. He is a quote unquote special one. So I feel like he has something that he, he can do something with this team, but um. We'll still have to see, especially after that Liverpool game, things will be much more clear as to how Tottenham are going to be looking.
2: I agree. That game is going to be the the trendsetter, not just for, you know, the the Prem season, but especially for Tottenham as they go into their next few games, which, again, like I said, after that, they're going to have uh, Chelsea and City, um, you know, within uh, two weeks of that. Or that Liverpool game, so it's going to be very, very telling about what we can expect from that team.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like that covers the Prem basically, and I want to go to that La Liga race. La Liga race, it seems right now Atletico Madrid are two with two games still in hand over second place Madrid, and third and three games in hand versus third place Real Sociedad, and also leading on points. Atletico Madrid will be like title, title favorites, but I think we still shouldn't rule out Real and Real Sociedad because the games that they play against Atletico Madrid, we still have one more Madrid, Madrid derby derby coming up. So those will be the crucial games. Those games will be very crucial. And though Barcelona is still sitting in six, we know that it's Barcelona. They're a big club. Messi, Dembele, and when Santu Fati comes back, they can be a great team. They will probably push back in the top four. What are ideas on the race in La Liga? Mm-hmm.
2: I think it's all going to come down to these teams, um, you know, or, or first of all, you know, I think that they're all good teams. Um, you know, Atletico Madrid, they're in solid form right now. They've won four out of their last five, but so have Real um, and uh, Barcelona hasn't lost in their last five either. So I think that all of these teams are going to have a chance. Real Sociedad, they've lost three of their last five, um, kind of dropping off a bit, but uh, they didn't win their last game, and I think that that's all going to be a big help as they you know, push forward and try to challenge Atletico Madrid, who have uh, looked to be a really, really solid team so far in, um, in La Liga this season.
1: Yeah, I just want to focus on um, the Barcelona situation at and currently. We know now is January. Uh, Messi can request that free transfer, but even then, even as a Real fan, I still don't want him to go, and I don't see him going anywhere at all. And not just because, oh, he's been a Barcelona jersey for such a long time, 16, 17 years, and even before then, the youth academy. Um, I just feel that tactically at this age and the role that he plays for Barcelona, no other team can not only afford him, but they can not also put him in place. Like even teams like City, I just don't see him working out with midfielders, De Bruyne and at strikers, and forwards, uh, Raheem Sterling and Aguero. And a, po- and a possible contenders PSG who are looking to sign him. I just don't seem fitting into that role. Cause, but it depends how Pochettino comes in, what system he uses. If he uses a four-two-three-one, four-four-two, four-three-three, even a 3-5-2 as we have seen under Tuco. It's going to be really interesting to see um, this Barcelona situation, especially with Messi. But he has said, I want to end my career at Barcelona. But it depends really how... Um, Barcelona contempt for the title. If he knows he's not going to win any more trophies, I think Messi has to leave. If he knows he's not going to win any trophies, I think he has to leave.
2: I think, you know, um, I think, you know, uh, January-wise, I don't think that he's going to leave. I Again, mean, like you said, um, he's not exactly the perfect fit for, you know, um, many teams other than, you know, Barcelona who's kind of built themselves around him. They've let you know, that happened, but, you know, trying to put him into a Man City or, you know, uh, another Prem system in the middle of the season in January, right in the middle of the Prem race, would, you know, it would be a waste of money, and it just wouldn't make any sense, because you'd have to make drastic changes to either the team or to Messi, Um, in either case, that would put, um, you know, either the team or or Messi, you know, out of uh, contention for a bit, you'd, you know, have to either leave Messi on the bench, um, you know, and let him get used to your system, or you'd have to let the team get used to playing around Messi. And in both cases, it's just not a, a viable option in a premise that, like I said, or, you know, like I said earlier, you know, three games separating the top 10, there is really no room for you to slip up because you will get eaten up and you will fall very, very quickly. So I don't think that making a move in January makes any sense at all. Um, but um, I think that so I think that he will probably um, wait until the campaign is over to start talking Um, in an interview last week he did he said exactly that Um, uh, and you know I think that that's exactly what he's going to go forward with doing he's going to wait until the summer um, and then we're going to have to see what he decides Um, and I think that you know like you said if, you know, if they can show that they are going to be able to pull out a title in the next couple of years, he might stick around. Um, but if they show that, you know, they're not going to be able to win anything around there, he's going to have to, you know, hang up his jersey um, for, for Barcelona.
1: Yeah, definitely. And but before we close out, um, just a thing that's been bugging me, and that's the question of legacy. So, I want to talk about three specific players, uh, Bruno Fernandes, Erling Haaland, and Harry Kane. Before we talk about that, just a quick background on what I mean by legacy. When we look at players like Ronaldo, um, both the Ronaldos, Messi, Dani Alves, um, other many international famous players, any famous players that we have in our top 10, top 20, for either their specific position of all time, one common theme is they've all won trophies. That's how we remember the players. When we talk about Messi versus Ronaldo, sure, we bring up the goals. We might go, oh, Ronaldo has five UCLs, Messi has six Ballon d'Or. Ronaldo has the international trophies. We had to bring up their trophies, their individual awards. And players like Erling Haaland, Harry Kane, and Bruno Fernandes are absolutely phenomenal. Harry Kane, arguably the best, one of the best strikers in the world right now. He can also, he's also a playmaker, a perfect combination for Tottenham, Oxfords. Erling Haaland, amazing. The Golden Boy winner, that's that's the trophy he's won. That's an award he's won. And then Bruno Fernandes, in my opinion, the best midfielder in the world right now. Since his debut in the Premier League, no one has outclassed him. Maybe um, Kevin De Bruyne, maybe Kimmich, but still, he's just been absolutely phenomenal. But it's the teams that they're playing for, the teams that will not bring them trophies. So when we look down the road in 20 years, how are we going to remember Harry Kane? How are we going to remember Erling Holland? How are we going to remember Bruno Fernandes? Are we going to remember as this players, just players that played amazing? Or are we also going to, are, are we going to remember them like, oh, some of the greatest players? But for them to be remembered as some of the greatest players, they have to win the trophies. And okay. I just don't see them winning those trophies that the clubs are currently at. What are your takes on that?
2: I, I 100% agree. You know, um, I I always believe that a legacy is half a player and half a team. You know, a player can be great, but if you're stuck on a, on a team that's not going to win, you know, it's it's always seen to be the most easy way to measure someone's success. You know, if you can win a trophy, you know, that, that shows that you've played well. Um, and, you know, I think that when you're looking at, you know, Kane on Tottenham, of course, he's been amazing. He's always been a world-class striker, and he will – probably go down in history for that. But will he always be remembered as that? It's going to be hard unless they manage to pull out trophies. Um, You know, because it's just, it's hard to really categorize someone as a winner when they can't end up pulling out a trophy to win it. Um, You know, I think that it's not something that's out of reach for these guys. I think that they have supporting casts around them that can play well, can pull out trophies, and they, they can be, you know, really, really world-class players that can be remembered for generations. But I think that it would take something special from, you know, their teammates um, for them to go down in history as something other than just a club legend, um, as someone who is a great striker for the club rather than a great striker in the world.
1: Right, definitely. Just an example, Peter Crouch, amazing player amazing guy, but what do we remember him for? For being someone, one of the most prolific strikers, or for some of his antics, or the celebrations he's had, and for maybe his height? We mm-hmm. don't remember him for, um, like, one of the best strikers in the world, and exactly. that's definitely, I feel like that that cannot, down the road, be the same for Harry Kane, unless we really go into depth specific statistics, we're really not going to see that, oh, he was such an amazing striker, he was such an amazing player, and it's not just that they, don't, that, that they don't have a um, – that they have a back uh, team. They have an amazing team. I just feel that the competition is too good for mm-hmm. Ling Holland and Bayern. Bayern has been top of the league, top of the um, world, really, in fact, in my opinion, for the past few years. And we saw that last year. Bruno Fernandez at Man U has lots of competition from Liverpool and Man City, two of the best teams in the last few years. And the same goes for Tottenham Hotspurs and Kane. And I feel like the idea of, oh, staying like a one-club player, that's great. For that worked out for Messi, and he, but he played at Barcelona under some of the greatest managers, some of the greatest players. But then you look at someone like uh, De Rossi or Totti. They are amazing. They were amazing players, but they played for a club like Roma. How much do we really remember those two players that were one-club players that didn't move, but they played for such a, let's say, underperforming club? that they didn't win the trophies. We're not going to remember them as some of the greatest players. We're really going to remember them as players who are loyal. And I, I feel like Bruno Fernandes, Haaland, and Harry Kane can do so much better than that. They're in right now. They're some of the greatest players in their position, greatest players in the world. They, something, um, they, I feel like they have to come to that decision that, oh, I need to leave. Because I know um, Harry Kane had some ongoing talks in the last year uh, at the end of the season when, or doing when he was injured. Of moving but nothing happened I feel these players have to move I've picked these three specific players because they're showing the most potential they are top their top players top top players and they're just outperforming their teams
2: I think um, you know again coming back to your point about you know I think that Holland you know again he's still a little young I think that he he's playing great right now um, but I think that There's a lot of time for him. He has a a, a very, you know, he has a long time to show that he's, uh, he can prove himself, uh, a long time to prove himself. And he's definitely going to get a chance to move to a bigger club. I don't think that, I would highly doubt that he would stick around in Dortmund for forever. And, you know, I think that we've seen that, you know, Dortmund has been a great breeding ground for a lot of players. Um, you know, as an American, of course, you know, Pulisic being the the latest great, but, you know, of course, you know, in the end, he had to leave. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to be a growing theme. Um, You know, Holland will definitely leave. I think the issue becomes more with someone like Kane, who is, you know, starting to get a little older. Um, You know, he's not his prime. Uh, He's not in his prime anymore. Um, And, you know, Tottenham will definitely be looking to sorry, he's, he's still in his prime. He's just, you know, he's starting to age. It doesn't, it's not a long-term investment though for, you know, um, other teams to, you know, uh, you know, keep him around because he's definitely going to be getting old.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's, that's a great point to bring up for Harry Kane. And I think that basically sums it up. Anything else you need to add? Any last comments?
2: Uh, I think that that's going to be about it.
1: Okay. Right. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you guys next time.